Michael Groff Show. I experimented with marijuana a time or two, and I didn't like it and didn't inhale. In America, we don't tolerate that kind of crap, sir. The Michael Groff Show. Now, the only thing anybody's going to remember me for after I die is being that blind guy. Zip code famous Michael Groff Show. You couldn't open a French whore's legs with a wheel of cheese. So if you're confused about what I'm saying... Listen very carefully. I quit this bitch. Michael Graff. Do you want me to give you my things I don't care about speech again? Because you know I've updated it to include all white guys who add Izzle to anything. Screw charity, man. And you know, I pledged $50 to stop diabetes, and then I found out that there's still diabetes. And I'm, I'm like, what? Man, talk about a ripoff. Zip code famous Michael Graff show. There's an old saying in Tennessee that says, fool me once. Shame on, shame on you. It fooled me, we can't get fooled again. A theologist might refer to him as a practical joke from God. A sociologist may refer to him as the voice of reason in a cesspool of humanity. While a philosopher may find him to be the ill-advised punchline to the universe. Or maybe that's a punching bag. Whatever. But of course, you know him as the host of the Zip Code Famous, Michael Groff Show. Get this thing rolling. Welcome in. Oh, I am exhausted from watching that debate tonight. That was something else. Oh. All right, welcome in. Yes, it is another edition of this, the Zip Code Famous Michael Graff Show on a Wednesday, October the 3rd, 2012. It's hard to believe it's already October. We are, uh, well, we're, we're in technically what is considered autumn here in the Northern Hemisphere. However, um, here in the Southwest U.S., you, you'd have no idea. It still feels like June outside. It really does. I think it was 102 degrees today. 102 on October 3rd. That's, that's not right. It's not natural. It's not fun. It's not funny. It's horrible. I'm still waiting for fall. All right. Well, let me just throw this out there at the very beginning of the show. Our contact information for the program, mike at kmgx.com is the email address. That is mike at kmgx.com. Michael Groff Show on AOL Instant Messenger. That's M-I-C-H-A-E-L-G-R-O-F-F Show on AOL Instant Messenger. You have Google Talk or G-Talk, as the hipsters would call it. Uh, my screen name over there is... Groff Show. Michael Groff is the handle on Twitter. And, uh, you know, you can also communicate with me telepathically and I will do my best to respond. All right? The contact information getting just as long as that for Coast to Coast AM. Every single time we do this bit. Obviously, the big talk of the night, the presidential debates, the 2012 round one of the presidential debates took place tonight in Colorado. 
And, you know, it was a big deal. And I, I certainly have a lot of thoughts on that. I'm going to get into it in just a few moments. There's so much stuff that is sitting here on my desk. It's like a phone book worth of things I want to talk about. I, I have notes I, I took from the debate, obviously. I have another rundown uh, here of stuff that I just I want to get to on this show. I have a mountain of stupid news to get to from the Michael Graff Show Stupid News File. It is like just, um, it's overflowing. It is brimming. And I know some of this stuff might be evergreen, but there's stuff that's just been sitting on my desk that I have wanted to talk about for, well, just days and days. And it's just crazy. I also, I, I have the 20 worst songs of the 90s. I, I don't think we're going to get to that on this particular show, but I want to mention that it is still coming up. I, it's, it's something I wanted to get to before, but you know, there's only so much time. I mean, I, I guess I could do an eight-hour podcast, but I I assume that you just listen to a 90-minute debate or a 90-something minute debate. I don't think you're going to want to sit through an eight-hour podcast of this, the Zip Code Famous Michael Groff Show. Maybe you do. Maybe you want an eight-hour podcast. I don't know. I mean, people do say that they like the longer shows. I see that on the website. I see that in, in my um, in my email. Oh, I also have a couple of uh, comments from email and from Messenger, um, some questions that people ask. And I definitely want to get to all that as well. So there's, there's a lot of things on the plate here. We'll see what we can get to. Uh, certainly a lot to talk about. All right. Now, the top news of the day is obviously the first round of the presidential debate for 2012 took place tonight in Colorado. And um, President Obama, Governor Romney squared off mano y mano. And I will say, I, I wrote about this about 20 minutes before the debate. I posted a tweet. And I, I think I've even mentioned this on the show. I know I've told this to everybody that will listen uh, in the circle of people that I know. But my pre-debate prediction that I posted was that all of the Republican punditry, um, those on you know conservative talk radio and uh, the talking heads over on Fox News and the like, will all say that Romney won the debate and that all of the Democratic punditry, the liberal punditry, will say that Obama won the debate. That's not exactly Nostradamus or uh, Miss Cleo or any big psychic revelation there. That's not the master prediction, except for the fact that it's just one of those things that we all know is is really part of the political campaign and part of the political process. Now, um, maybe I should just spoiler alert on that, first of all, is that basically from my scan around the radio dial this evening and, and my flip through of the talking head shows on TV, Pretty much, for the most part, I, that does stick to the truth. My prediction is pretty accurate. Although I will say, Ed Schultz, of all the people, Ed Schultz over there on MSNBC, shockingly, Ed Schultz said that he thought Obama was weak tonight. He thought that Obama did not deliver and that he fell flat and that Mitt Romney, uh, by... Well, not in these precise words, but Ed Schultz pretty much conceded that Mitt Romney won this debate. Of all the people, liberal old Ed Schultz over there, uh, the the guy that acts and sounds just like Rush Limbaugh, except he is the the converse of Rush Limbaugh. He's just the a fat bloated liberal as opposed to a fat bloated conservative. Um, 
uh, he actually gave this debate pretty much to Romney. He, he didn't really say that Romney won. He said more like Obama lost the debate. I was really shocked by that. But other than that, that's really, and again, I haven't heard all of the, the punditry. You know, this is, uh, we're, we're doing this podcast, you know, maybe about an hour and a half following the debate. So it hasn't really, not everything's fallen out yet. And there's certainly going to be more reaction as we go through the next several hours and tomorrow and even into Friday. But boy, this thing pretty much shook out as I expected, at least in that sense. But the debate itself was, um, it was a little bit different. And I went in there fully expecting, first of all, just kind of a back and forth and really not a whole lot. And, and I really kind of expected Obama would probably come out ahead, at least uh, stylistically speaking. Not so much. Not so much. Um, I felt that Mitt Romney pretty much handled himself in this debate. And while I don't think he was magnanimous, well, I don't think he was an A-plus, hit it out of the park, I thought that it was definitely a solid performance, and I really felt that Obama did not have his A game tonight. The master orator that Barack Obama is, that he has been throughout his previous four years, and even while he was a senator, this uh, well-prepared, well-researched sort of guy, uh, you, you certainly saw him off his game tonight. He really was. I felt that after a, a little while, he got flustered. He even got a little bit snippy, a little snarky at points. And I felt that he really did not have control of this debate. He really uh, got beaten on substance. And I think he almost got beaten on style, which for this president, who I will say has always been one to win on style points, he's always gone up there and given a masterful speech. He always is able to command a crowd and get people fired up. Even if they don't agree with him whatsoever, people do say, well, he's a great speaker. Kind of like the Bill Clinton sort of school of thought is that, yeah, you know, he might be a liar. He may be a conniver. But you know what? Bill Clinton is a great speaker. He's, a, he's got great charisma. He has great room presence. And you could generally say the same thing about Barack Obama, but not tonight. He seemed very ill-prepared. And I think that there's a few points where um, Romney really took control. First, I, I'll say this. Barack Obama opened the debate by saying happy anniversary to his wife of 20 years. Now, some of you may have thought that was a heartwarming moment. Oh, that's a warm and fuzzy sort of feeling. Um, I just thought that that was kind of a misstep. I don't know why you would do that. I don't know why you'd open a debate with that um, and make it this whole thing about your wife. I, I don't know. Maybe um, maybe he's been in the doghouse lately and said something stupid. Um, guys do generally tend to do that. Uh, guys do say stupid things. Um, and maybe that's what happened. So to make it up to her, uh, he went in front of 40 million people and said, hey, I, I just want to make sure I say happy anniversary to my wife. Maybe he forgot the anniversary present. Maybe that was it. He, he, didn't, uh, he didn't do one of those moves where he stopped at the flower shop just a few minutes before getting home. So, yeah. so instead of doing that, since he is the president of the United States, he decided, you know what? I'm gonna, when I do this presidential debate thing tonight, I'm going to make sure that I include uh, Michelle's name in there a couple of times, and I'm going to make sure I give her a shout-out right at the start and say happy anniversary, because nothing smooths it over more than your husband, the president of the United States, uh, saying happy anniversary in front of a national audience. 
So that was definitely a move I really didn't get. Um, although I thought that Mitt Romney came back with kind of a cool little quip about that afterwards, a little joke that kind of got everybody going. He said, gee, Mr. President, I know that this is your 20-year uh, wedding anniversary, but I mean, what better romantic place could there be but then to spend it up here with me on stage? So, you know, I thought that was great. And Mitt Romney, who's generally speaking the most uncool person in the room, the least hip person, uh, we've documented that many times on this program. Uh, but uh, <laughs> I, I remember I read a comment actually that summed it up very well. He's like that really uncool dad that tries so hard to learn slang for his kids, you know, so he can fit in with his teenage kids. And he always comes across looking really dumb. Uh, it always looks dated and just stupid. Uh, and then my analogy, uh, the thing I always draw him to is he's very much like, um, very much like that rich, nerdy kid that tries to run for president of student council in school. And he always has a few friends because he's rich, but really he's uncoordinated and nerdy. And that's how I always feel about Mitt Romney. But tonight he had a couple of little jokes, a couple liners, and he seemed very well prepared. And when it came to, and again, we all know who I'm voting for. We all know the fact that I don't like either one of these candidates. And frankly, um, they don't, even though Mitt Romney, I felt, did very well in this debate, it, it nothing that he could say would convince me to vote for him. Uh, same thing with Barack Obama. That said, I really felt that uh, Romney got uh, Obama cornered early and often in this debate. Uh, first, when they were talking about the economy, I thought this played right into Mitt Romney's hands. It's no secret that the incumbent president in a poor economy has a major disadvantage. This was true of George H.W. Bush in the 1992 debates when both Ross Perot and Bill Clinton hammered him on the economy. Bill Clinton's famous line about it's the economy, stupid, and Ross Perot talking about NAFTA and that giant sucking sound. I mean, that just pretty much doomed President George H.W. Bush back in the 1992 campaign, uh, especially after his read my lips, no new taxes thing. And then there were new taxes. And then the economy, while it certainly wasn't as bad as it is now, it was just sort of flatlining. It was very much stalled out. So the incumbent president in even a mediocre economy has a distinct disadvantage in these types of issues. Well, Mitt Romney, for the first time in this campaign, actually hammered the economy. He actually was on top of the president on the economy, saying how, how many jobs uh, still have been lost, how, how we've had uh, all these consecutive months now, I believe 23, 28, uh, 32, whatever it is, consecutive months now of unemployment numbers of 8% or higher. Mitt Romney also took the president to task on deficit spending, how... Every year, the deficit has been increasing, how our national debt has been increasing, how the president's irresponsible fiscal policies have been hurting this country. And I feel that uh, definitely uh, the president, again, very vulnerable to these types of attacks, um, really didn't have much of a response. I mean, he went back to the canned answer of when I came into the office, uh, I had a one trillion dollar deficit sitting on my desk, which, of course, that is true. But the president did make these promises. He promised to cut the deficit in half in his first term in office, and he did not do that. And Mitt Romney called him out on it. I thought that certainly right away, this set the tone for the debate. As the debate went along, 
the president was again backed up against the wall on the issue of education. Now, I thought this was actually very astute on the part of Mitt Romney. I can't believe I'm actually paying something of a compliment to Mitt Romney, but look, I'm calling it as it is in this debate. And I thought that President Obama would have the advantage. He is the better speaker, the better orator. He is the more prepared guy, at least when he's reading off a teleprompter. But usually he's he's got a better command of the room and he just did not have that in this debate. So the issue of education comes up and the president tries to get Mitt Romney saying, look, you can't just cut spending to education and expect things to be better. You know, you, you can't do this. Well, Mitt Romney comes back with, well, my record on education uh, is pretty solid, sir. Um, uh, Massachusetts is number one. In education, we have the top education system in the country right now. I was the governor presiding over it, signing legislation. I think I know what it takes to get education going. Pretty much that put the president in his place. Uh, again, he talks about how in the in the Romney-Ryan budget that there's cuts to education. Mitt Romney says there's not. And that leads me to another point. Time and again, the president tried to get Mitt Romney on this issue that there will be a $5 trillion deficit because of the Romney-Ryan budget. That there's going to be this gaping hole because there's going to be all these tax cuts for the rich. Mitt Romney flat out looked at the president and said, I am not giving the rich a tax cut. I am not giving, uh, the only people I am giving a tax cut to are the middle class, the upper class, the rich, they are not getting a tax cut. Uh, Barack Obama went back to this talking point about the five trillion bucks and, and uh, in tax cuts, and um, you know, and, and Mitt Romney flat out denied it several times. This completely baffled the president. You know, they prepared both candidates prior to this uh, debate. I mean, they've spent a couple of days prepping for this, and I don't think they expected Mitt Romney to just look at the president and flat out tell him, "Hey, this is BS. I am not cutting." taxes to the rich. I'm just not doing it. And at one point, Barack Obama does say, well, uh, this is a, a different side of Mitt Romney. Now, I will say, I, I agree with the president here. Once again, the uh, Mitt Romney really kind of regressed into this sort of very center Republican type tonight. I mean, he talked about his health care system, which I'm going to bring up in just a second. Uh, he, he talked about how he's not going to give additional tax cuts to the wealthy. And he really sort of sounded more like the Mitt Romney that ran in the Republican primary. And I'm talking the early Republican primary back when there were, you know, 118 different candidates uh, all jarring for that nomination. Well, Mitt Romney back then was definitely the moderate, if not really a liberal Republican standing on his record as uh, with his health care in Massachusetts and how he's really not all this, uh, you know, huge on the conservative tax cuts and all this and now and then he he really had that morph into sort of the hardcore conservative, which he, we talked about on this program many times, saying that it really seemed that Mitt Romney was just sort of playing along with the Republicans or that he he was told that this is sort of the talking point he needs to throw out there. Well, tonight he seemed to regress back into that sort of early primary version of Mitt Romney. And I don't think the president was prepared for that. Whether or not this gives Romney any credibility, I don't know. But in terms of debate credibility and whether or not it looked like he had the president on the defensive, even though he's the incumbent, I thought that was an 
uh, just a fantastic strategy. And I, I don't use that word lightly or those words lightly because, look, I, I'm, I wouldn't vote for Mitt Romney. Again, I really have to emphasize this. I am not a uh, Mitt Romney shill by any means. I'm not a Barack Obama shill. I dislike both candidates equally. But from a debate strategy, which is exactly what we're talking about right now, you have to say that for the most part tonight, Barack Obama was defeated. He really was. He defeated himself somewhat. And Mitt Romney, again, while not over the top, while not A+, while not home run, while not super magnanimous, he was still good enough to come out ahead in this thing. The other area where I felt that Mitt Romney really made a big difference in this discussion was on health care. Now, when the discussion started, there was a lot of talk about the voucher system, and I don't think anybody's really buying into the whole voucher thing. And both candidates sort of agreed that they're not going to change the Medicare system as it is for people that are already retired and already in that portion of Medicare or Medicaid. But where they differ and where I think the president tried to call Romney out was saying, look, we don't know which Mitt Romney you really are because you had a health care system which is similar to my own, similar to Obamacare, a term that the president actually embraces, and I think that's great. You had a system in your state that was similar to my health care system. So why are you trying to repeal Obamacare? He really tried to corner Romney on this issue, and I thought he had him. And then Mitt Romney said, well, the difference between you and me is that I actually reached across the aisle in a state where the legislature is 87% Democrat. I reached across the aisle. We made a deal. We got a compromise done, and we got a health care system that works that the people of Massachusetts are happy with. And sure, I got that done as the governor of the state. While you were the president, you couldn't get a single Republican to go along with your vote. You said you didn't need the Republicans and you just pushed your legislation through. You and Nancy Pelosi and Harry Reid, you got your health care system pushed through without any cooperation whatsoever. Not only did he take a shot at the health care system, but really Obama's willingness to cooperate with the other side. And... Uh, you know, Barack Obama came back with his usual, I'm willing to listen to any idea from anybody, be they Republican, Democrat, whatever, uh, just as long as the idea makes sense and moves us forward. But, you know, at that point, I really don't think that that was going to help save him in this debate. So I think on those key issues, on the tax cuts, on the health care system, on the education system, and the general economy notion, I really think those four areas, I think those four little points that I made in here, I felt that Mitt Romney really did a better job than the president. Now, you know, the voucher system, okay, you know, maybe I, I think you, you kind of give that one to the president because, again, Mitt Romney talks vouchers, and generally speaking, people go, I don't know, man. I don't know if I really like that. I don't know. They, they can't really grasp that. It's kind of like the privatization of the Social Security system. A lot of people, myself included, really don't have much of an opinion on that, and we're not really prepared to just jump into something like that, especially given how the market has been, how volatile the global economy is. I don't think people really want to take the social security fund and just suddenly start dumping it into all these private businesses um, and grow it that way. Uh, I don't think people are really all that interested in, in, you know, having social security up in a, in a stock basically. Um, so, but I don't know. Maybe people, some people are. I, I, for me, I'm sort of on the fence on the issue. I don't know how I feel about it. Um, as it is, I'd rather 
than risk it. I'd rather just keep it the way it is, at least for the moment. So, and I think uh, that's another area. And they didn't talk about that tonight, really. Uh, they they mentioned Social Security, Medicare, Medicaid, but they really didn't delve into um, the finer details of that. Now, I think the president, the vice presidential debate is coming up on October 11th. There will be another presidential debate uh, very, very soon. I think that is... Is it two weeks from today that the next one is? Something like that. I, I believe it's coming up on the 17th. Um, so we'll have that to look forward to, and we'll certainly talk about that. I think the next debate will center around um, more foreign policy type stuff. I think there might be a question or two about social issues, and I'm sure we're going to talk a little bit more about some of the stuff that came up tonight. But I think mostly we're talking foreign policy and that sort of stuff in the next debate. A couple of points or a couple of problems I had with this debate. Uh, number one, I didn't know they went out and hired one of those replacement refs from the NFL uh, to be the moderator for this debate. I mean, that was brutal. That was Jim Lair. That was the uh, the moderator. He was terrible. Man, I, I, you know, we could debate who may have won the debate, but there is a big no doubt on who the loser was. And that was Jim Lair. Holy cow, he was terrible. He really was. Um, he couldn't get control of, of either candidate. He couldn't really hammer down the situation. The, the, the opening segment, the opening part of the debate went way too long. And they, uh, they really had to rush it at the end because he just couldn't figure out how to get the candidates to move on to another topic. And then, you know, Barack Obama got a little snippy with Jim Lair at one point. And I, and I really couldn't blame him because... He just didn't seem to have a feel for how to moderate one of these things. I don't know. It seems that they can never get a really good moderator. At least they haven't for a while. Bob Schieffer, I think, was the moderator in 2008. And he was better, but I don't think he, even he was great. But one thing's for sure, Jim Lair is, oof, he, he is brutal. He is replacement ref bad. Uh, that's point number one. And then point number two. You know, I really would have liked to have heard what Gary Johnson had to say about all this stuff. But, oh, yeah, they didn't invite him to this debate because I guess they felt that the Libertarian candidate, a guy who's on 49 of the 50 states' ballots and the other one they're suing to be on, and and Washington, D.C. I didn't think that, uh, I guess they felt that somebody that was on all of those ballots and is a legitimate candidate for president of the United States uh, should not get a voice. I'm voting for Gary Johnson, of course, the former governor of the state of New Mexico, uh, the libertarian candidate, and the guy that I certainly have endorsed um, repeatedly. Love Gary Johnson. Would have loved to have seen him put both of these dumbasses in their place tonight. I know that he would have schooled them on, on economic issues, absolutely, because this was, this was a debate that was tailor-made for a libertarian candidate. He would have looked at both of them and said, look, I don't care if you're Republican or Democrat. You're both responsible for the mess that we're in right now. You both have spent like nuts. And frankly, it's about time that somebody came in there and really cleaned up the mess. And uh, unfortunately, we just, you know, we couldn't get that because the the council of debates, the the, the people that put these debates together, they are Republican and Democrat. It's good old boys only. And I don't care if you're a libertarian candidate and you have 25% of the vote in the polls. You're just, you're not going to be able to get in there. Uh, Ross Perot was an anomaly. 
Uh, they put, put him in there begrudgingly, but they saw him as a sideshow, as a circus. And by the time they actually had the debates, he really kind of was. Um, he still got a, a decent percentage of the vote, but, you know, look, he had quit a couple times, came back a couple times. Uh, by then, he lost a lot of respect from people, and I think that some of the people that thought about voting for him then decided to sway over to Clinton. Um, so, I don't know. It was... Um, it was bad, but I really, I couldn't believe that they would just not even bother to have Gary Johnson there. Um, what's the worst that could happen? Now, both candidates always view the Libertarian or the Green Party candidate as somebody that takes votes away from them. And if they lose the election, they ultimately blame that candidate. For example, Al Gore to this day and, and the, the, the liberals, they will tell you that Ralph Nader cost Al Gore the election or they'll say the Florida Supreme Court but they'll uh, they'll say Ralph Nader was the reason that it even got as close as it was because without him Al Gore would have won straight up and it wouldn't have even been a big deal uh, they say the same thing about Ralph Nader in 2004 even though it wasn't that close we're talking about what was it five points I think was the was the final in the popular vote Ralph Nader was not a factor. And I don't know. They, I guess they think Gary Johnson would screw it up for Obama or he'd screw it up for Romney. And therefore, having Gary Johnson at the debate is just not a good idea. I don't know. Um, so I thought that, was, uh, that part was also quite lacking and would have definitely liked to have seen Gary Johnson there. But, you know, I guess they've made their decision on uh, libertarian candidates. We got to get to some of the stuff that is built up in the Michael Grav Show stupid news file. Got some international stuff, um, Syria, Iran. It's all getting very serious over there. Um, do have uh, some stuff about the banks. Got to talk about, oh, the replacement refs are gone. The real refs are back in the NFL. That happened as of a week ago. Last week was the first week with the regular officials back in the NFL. And what do you know? The games went from these four and four and a half hour long marathons to being relatively smooth three or perhaps three and a half hour long games without all the ridiculous stoppages in play, without the referees having to consult the rule book because they don't know the freaking rules. Do you know some of those replacement refs actually came from the lingerie league? There is a lingerie league, apparently. One of their teams is called the Los Angeles Temptations. Well, uh, one of the officials or two of the officials that were replacement refs were actually from that league. Uh, another one was a fired Pac-12 official from college. Uh, a couple of the, the, the others, some of them were like Division Three college officials. I mean, college football is bad enough as it is. We don't need uh, officials from college football to come to the NFL. We certainly don't need them from the lingerie league. Jesus, I'm, I couldn't, I couldn't believe that. So it is good to have the regular officials back in the game. I know some people that were out there on Twitter and some of the blogs that I read were like, oh, "The regular officials, I don't notice the difference." <laughs> you know, okay, sure you don't. Look, a guy that can't even get a coin flip right, a guy that doesn't even know, who can't count how many timeouts a team has. Just so you guys know. Each half in an NFL game, each team gets three timeouts. So if you can't count to three as an NFL official or as a replacement NFL official, you probably shouldn't have a job. And don't come at me with, well, the, the regular officials get stuff like that wrong too. No, they don't. The regular officials, I don't think, have ever gotten the number of timeouts wrong. I don't think that's ever happened. 
Now, if somebody wants to prove me wrong, I'm willing to listen, but I, I don't think so. All right, look, we've got so much other stuff to get into on the program. I, I don't think we're going to get it all into this show, but I want to let you know what's coming up. The worst song of the week. We still have that to get to this week. I want to keep that feature going. The pop chart, the 20 worst songs of the 90s, and an unbelievable story featuring the most despicable person in the universe. You don't think so? You'll agree after I tell you about it. Stick around. Zip code famous. Michael Graff Show. Number two, the Zip Code Famous Michael Graff Show on a Wednesday, October 3rd, 2012. Just 34 days away from what they call You Decide 2012, where you get to choose between the two evils. Or, you know, you could actually just choose maybe Gary Johnson or... I mean, you're, you're not just stuck with A and B, but apparently the rest of the country thinks you are. We're basically at the point where it's it's 33 days now. We've, we're bleeding out. We do these podcasts. I, I, I've been in this habit of recording them in the middle of the night. I think that's when I actually have my my biggest burst of energy is like nine or ten p.m. I don't I don't understand it, but that's just how I've been working. It's um it's a weird phenomenon. I, I don't know. During the day, I'm sleepy. I'm tired. In Somehow, about starting about 5 p.m. and onward, I, I hit my stride, or 6, 7 p.m., after it gets dark, basically, which is getting earlier and earlier. All right. Contact information for the program, Mike, at KMGX.com is the email address. Groff Show on Google Talk. Michael Groff Show on AOL Instant Messenger. And Michael Groff, that's the handle on Twitter. And, of course, the one and only MichaelGroff.com for everything else that could be possibly Michael Groff related. All of our contact information and more and ways to listen to this show, talk about this show, post about the show, whatever you want to do. Make sweet, sweet love to this program. You can do all that and much more at the one, the only, MichaelGroff.com. That's funny, uh... Speaking of Green Day, since that's the bumper here, I, I just thought I would uh, point this out. So, since we last spoke, lead singer of Green Day, Billy Joe Armstrong, had some kind of big meltdown at the iHeartRadio Music Festival. I don't know how many of you saw this or heard about it. Um, if you listen to terrestrial radio 
most of them are owned by Clear Channel stations, so you would have heard them promote the hell out of that iHeartRadio Music Festival. Uh, it was this big thing they held in Las Vegas. It was something that, you know, they were like, oh, God, the iHeart, the iHeart Radio Music Festival, blah, 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 blah. I mean, just ramming it down your throat. Well, Green Day was one of the acts that performed there. They had a bunch of just garbage, too. They had Rihanna, Rihanna, Chris Brown. Um, who else was there? I don't know, man. Uh, Usher. So I guess at some point in the concert, they promised Green Day X amount of time to perform a set. And then sort of in the middle, they just decided that they were going to give Usher more time. This is the report I got about it. And so they decided to cut Green Day a little short. So they post a sign up in the middle of their set saying, hey, man, one minute left. This did not sit well with Green Day lead singer Billy Joe Armstrong, who has been known to uh, have a, a little bit ill-tempered at times. Uh, we do have the audio. Now, I'm, I'm going to just caution you before we go further with this. I'm not going to sit here and bleep it because I'd be bleeping all day. Um, I think this actually went out over the air live like this. I don't know how Clear Channel did this. I know that some of their pop stations, they decided to air the the iHeart Music Festival live. Um, if that is indeed the case, which I don't know why they would do that. If that is indeed the case, then this went out over the radio live also. I don't know. I don't have that. But I do know that on their live stream, and um, for anybody that was watching this in Las Vegas, they saw this happen when they post, when they flashed up one minute remaining, uh, Billy Joe Armstrong loses it. Here's the audio. Again, it's not bleeped. So those of you that tune in thinking, oh my God, this is a pure podcast. I don't want to hear any any of those bad, bad words. Well, you're going to hear them. So just deal with it. Here's... Las Vegas, get your fucking ass together! Yeah. Yeah! I'm gonna play a fucking new song. Fuck this shit. Give me a fucking break. One minute left. One minute fucking left. You're gonna give me fucking one minute? There's a look at that fucking sign right there. One minute. Let me fucking tell you something. Let me tell you something. I've been around since fucking 1980-fucking-eight. And you're gonna give me one fucking minute? You gotta be fucking kidding me. You're fucking kidding me. What the fuck? I'm not fucking Justin Bieber, you motherfuckers. Nice. You gotta be fucking joking. Joking. It's a fucking joke. It's a joke. What? Aren't these guys from like San Francisco? Where did where did he develop? When I know that they started this like in the mid late nineties. That that kind of fake British accent. This whole thing's a joke. You got to be joking, right? Hello, governor. <laughs> I say that this this whole thing. I I believe this entire thing's a bit of a joke. The whole thing's uh, a bit. Of a joke. It's all a bunch of rubbish to me, what I say. <laughs> it's, it's a joke. <laughs> I mean, this guy, this guy, he couldn't be more American than, than these guys. Like, you know, again, Northern California. And they're, <laughs> it's a joke. What kind of an accent is that? It's the worst, worst attempt at a British accent ever. One minute, one minute. 
one minute left. Oh, now I got nothing left. Now I got nothing left. Yeah, because you kept bitching about how you only have one minute left. Let me show you what one fucking minute fucking means. So now... Now he smashes his guitar. Which, you know, that really looks... That really endears yourself to the fans. That guitar probably costs more than they make in three months. One minute. God fucking love you all. We'll be back. Nice. All right, so that was the big festival, the big iHeartRadio Music Festival in Las Vegas that happened uh, a week or so ago. And, you know, it was a crazy thing because right afterwards, Billy Joe Armstrong checked himself into rehab, which is, of course, the big celebrity thing to do, the big rock band thing to do. I don't know what his problem is. Is it alcohol? Is that why he's checking himself in? I don't I don't remember, but it's... <laughs> You know, I'm sure it's a publicity thing. I don't know. What's he going to go up there and say? Um, Hi, I'm Billy Joe Armstrong. Hi, Billy. And I have a problem with rage. I get pissed off when things don't go exactly my way. Now, look, I get it. If the story is true that they got cut short to make more time for Usher, I get it as a creative person. You have a certain expectation, a certain amount of time that you want to go up there and perform. And then you get cut short. I I get it. You fly off the handle. It's not cool. But smashing your guitars and acting like a complete jackass is not exactly going to endear yourself to the fans. Um, it's certainly not going to get you. Um, <laughs> it's not going to get you a lot more exposure, and not necessarily going to get you um, time back on the stage at another concert, especially one sponsored by Clear Channel, which, as you know, they own everything. So good luck getting on another concert stage anytime soon, or promotions anytime soon, because guess what? They also own the promotional facility, the the um, the billboard company, the major billboard companies that the outdoor entertainment or whatever that's called that um, uh, promotes all those big concerts. So, um, got news for you, Billy. That meltdown right there may have cost you a lot. I don't know. I don't know the whole story behind it. I just know that uh, he had a big meltdown. Didn't seem very cordial. I know somebody's probably going to go and say, "Well, that whole thing was pretty staged and." It didn't look like it to me. Did not appear that way. If so, somebody didn't tell some of those uh, some of those border operators that at those radio stations across the country. I don't know. I don't know what the story is. All right. Well, from that story, we move on to something else. And ladies and gentlemen, I have found the most despicable person in the universe. And this isn't a title that I just throw around loosely. But I didn't have to go very far to find this person. But this really is a deplorable human being. It's one thing when you are a fraud. It's another thing when you're a scammer. We talk about those kind of people all the time, the John Edwards types, the, oh, I talk to dead people. I think those people are douchebags. There's no question. But this goes well beyond average douchebaggery or even extraordinary douchebaggery. This is something that can only merit the title of most despicable person in the universe. And her name, her name, is Jamie Lynn Toller from right here in the Phoenix area. What did she do? Well, she told her friends, her family, and coworkers that she had cancer, breast cancer, and that she was going to need a double mastectomy and then reconstructive surgery on her breast. The only problem is the whole thing was a complete lie. It was a total sham. It was meant 
to strictly defraud these people out of money so that she could actually just get a boob job. She could just get breast reconstruction surgery. And that's exactly what she did. And uh, look, here's the news story also. I'll just play you the, um, the story. This is truly remarkable. A new low for humanity right here. Thomas Betcher gives hope to people with life-threatening illnesses. That's why he helped his co-worker when she was diagnosed with breast cancer. At least that's what she told him. Tried to encourage her, give her hope give her something to see a purpose through this. Jamie Toller said she needed a double mastectomy and reconstructive surgery. The 27-year-old apparently did not have insurance. And you could see the di how distraught she was in her face and then the family reached out. Toller found a doctor to perform the surgery under the table but still could not come up with the money. Co-workers and family members raised thousands to try and save Toller's life but they learned it was all a charade. We were totally blindsided. According to Phoenix Police, medical records say Toller never had any breast masses. She never had breast cancer. Instead, she came to this North Phoenix plastic surgeon's office to get her breasts done. Mesa police say Toller stole over $8,000 from innocent people wow. for a breast enhancement that cost $5,800. The money raised by Hallmark Hospice employees who work closely with cancer patients. We are in the business of helping people that are in need. Hospice is that. And in our country, you know, you are expected to show compassion and um, and you want to bring comfort to those that are suffering. Unreal. I'll tell you what, when you defraud a hospice, your family, your friends, your coworkers, so that you can get a boob job, um, you are really just a, a horrible human being. When you take advantage of people's goodwill um, and charity, there is nothing lower than that. And luckily, this woman is going to face criminal charges for fraud. Hopefully, she goes to jail for a long time. You know, I, I was reading some of the comments. Now, I'm not saying this. And no, I'm not even engaging in a parallel here. I really, I, I, don't, I don't feel this way. But I could understand how people would feel this way. I read a bunch of comments. You would not believe some of the things people said. But many people were saying, I hope this woman really does get breast cancer so she knows what it's like. Now, I, I don't wish cancer on this person. Um, I really can't think of anybody off the top of my head that I would wish cancer upon. That said, um, I can understand people's anger and frustration. And look, this woman is going to get justice. She's going to go away for a while for committing fraud. Probably not long enough. Um, but she is going to be going away to jail, to prison. Um, I, I don't know. Um, I mean, it's it's obvious. It's felony. It's it's a felonious fraud. But um, beyond that, I, I don't know how well it's going to stand up. I. But jail time is in your future. Jamie Lynn Toller, ladies and gentlemen, the most despicable person in the universe, lying about cancer so that you can get a boob job. In all the years I've done this show, I cannot think of a time when somebody has stooped lower than that. That is really just deplorable. All right. Uh, on we go from the uh, crazy, despicable story there to another fairly despicable international story, the Syrians. Ah, yes, the Syrians, ladies and gentlemen, they are at it again. Now, last week, uh, there was a, a, a random missile that was fired into northern Israel from Syria and the Syrian government denies that they ever fired any rocket attacks 
against rebel forces in Syria or against the Israelis. Their top military official actually says, quote, I'm not aware of any clashes between the Syrian army and the rebels taking place so close to the Israeli border. Added the Syrian official who spoke on condition of anonymity to Klein Online. He said, quote, in any case, the Syrian army does not fire rockets against the rebels. The official further claimed that mortar rounds launched from Syria landed in Israel yesterday. They were unrelated to any fighting between the rebels and the Syrian army whatsoever. He says, hey, listen, man, there there may have been mortars that were fired, uh, but they weren't from us. They landed in northern Israel. Sure, we didn't have anything to do with it. We know nothing about it. I mean, you know, uh, you're claiming they came from us. We say they didn't. Uh, you know, Israel says, hey, look, we have proof that it did. That entire region, I'll tell you what, it just continues to destabilize. And there is going to come to a point because now you see the, the president's foreign policy, and I know that that's going to come up in another debate is foreign policy issues. The president's foreign policy has been atrocious. Um, Israel is starting to think that they have less and less backing from the United States. And I think it's just going to come to a point. I know I've been saying this for years and other people have said this for years, but it will come to a point where Israel feels they don't really have the support from the allies anymore. And they're just going to act on their own and they're just going to blow these people up. They have the means. They have, uh, they have the ops teams. They have the military power to do it. They obviously have the weapons necessary to do it. And uh, yeah, they have the means and the motives. So it's just going to come down to somebody is going to tip them over the edge and finally they're going to go off. Kind of like they did with Lebanon a few years back, but it's going to be 10 times worse. And somebody, likely Iran, is going to feel the full brunt of Israel and it's going gonna, it's gonna to be brutal. It's going to be ugly. And I don't know, maybe it plunges the entire region into war. I don't know. But if it does, Israel is ultimately going to have the last word because they have nuclear bombs. And that's really what it comes down to. They have nukes. And the rest of those areas, they have their, their Scud missiles or their, you know, whatever, uh, their, their little rockets. And uh, I read uh, last week that um, the Iranians now have a, a medium-range missile system. They obviously have a missile that uh, they, have, of course, can hit Jerusalem and Tel Aviv and all these different places. But the Israelis, they, um, if they sense that the Iranians are getting too close to nuclear technology, they're going to blow up those, uh, those plants. They're going to do whatever they have to do to blow that up and take care of it. They did that to Saddam Hussein back in 1981. So what makes you think that they wouldn't do it now in 2012? I mean, if they did it 30 years ago, they'll do it again. And for... The most part, the United States has kind of been in their face and, and tying their hands and holding them back and saying, listen, you know, there's, there's got to be another way. Um, President George H.W. Bush, President Clinton, even uh, Bush 40, 43 there, you know, uh, he tried uh, to, they all tried to have peace between the Palestinians and the Israelis and peace in that entire area between the Israelis and, and the Iranians and everybody else. And it just doesn't work. You can't have it. Because when you have an entire region of people that don't want you there and don't feel that you should be there, they're going to do whatever they have to do, be it these uh, the, the sabotage of suicide bombings from within or all-out rocket attacks from Lebanon, from Syria, from Iran, 
from anywhere around the region, it's going to continue. And these things are, are going to just escalate the problem until either Israel's wiped out or they decide to finally fight back. And the United States isn't going to be able to stop them when they reach that tipping point. The UN, nobody is going to be able to stop Israel once it comes down to that. And um, look, our, our foreign policy has just been a joke under, well, really under Bush, under uh, Obama, the last 12 years or so. I mean, we've just had the worst foreign policy. You get involved in these wars with nations where you shouldn't. And then when you have Benjamin Netanyahu that comes to the United States, wants to meet with President Obama, Obama can't find the time to meet with Netanyahu. He just couldn't. He could find the time to go on David Letterman, but he couldn't find the time to meet with a foreign dignitary. That, to me, is stifling. That says a lot about this president. And I certainly hope in the next debate, even though, again, not voting for Mitt Romney, not interested in, in either of the two, but, boy, I sure hope that Romney or somebody calls the president out on this stuff. I mean, this is a, a celebrity in chief, and he has no interest in meeting with Netanyahu. Why? Why has this administration been so reluctant to talk with the Israelis? Look, I don't think we should be involved in the, in the Middle East at all. But if a foreign dignitary is reaching out to you, if a head of state in a foreign nation is reaching out to you saying, hey, look, man, let's, let's talk about this, and you can't even be bothered to sit down and have a meeting with him, that's a problem. And then when you say, well, I just didn't have time, but you had time to go on David Letterman's show? You have time to make appearances on The View? You have time to appear on TV? You certainly have time to go out and, and get in a round of golf, but you don't have time to meet with Netanyahu. Okay. <laughs> you have time to meet with President Hu of China. Well, you better because, you know, we do owe them billions, well, trillions of dollars. So obviously you're going to meet with him. Netanyahu, I guess, just couldn't be bothered, huh? Oh, from the Michael Grav Show stupid news file. <laughs> a, a few years ago, I did a story about a woman who was too busy texting and talking on the phone to notice that a train was coming. Now, she was a deaf woman that was walking by the train tracks and a train came along and hit her. Now, why you would walk near train tracks anyway and so close to them that if a train did come by, it would hit you, uh, I don't understand. And I also didn't understand why a deaf woman would not be paying attention to where she was going, but rather on her phone texting. And, you know, I took a bunch of crap about that. We had the rant line back in those days, too. People called the rant line. They called my toll-free number. And, and I got ripped into um, by a couple of ve just very angry people about that story. Well, I'm preparing for that again because here we have it again. A woman this time, apparently not deaf, not blind, not any sort of uh, disability, but a woman was texting and fell off a cliff. Happened in Kodiak, Alaska, where emergency responders say... They had to overcome the challenges of a cliff as well as an incoming tide to rescue a woman who fell 60 feet onto rocks. Maria Patriskov survived the fall on September 17th and is recovering in an Anchorage hospital. The Kodiak Daily Mirror reports that she slipped as she was texting on her phone at the same time she tried to toss a cigarette butt over the cliff edge. So not only is she a, a chronic texter, not paying attention to what she's doing, but she's also a smoker. 
She's got both her hands full with the text, with the cigarette, and then she falls off the cliff. Firefighters from the Bayside and Kodiak Fire Department rushed to the accident scene. Pestrikov was just 10 feet from the incoming tide. She was placed on a rolled-out stretcher, hauled up the cliff to an ambulance. Then she was flown to an Anchorage hospital where she is reportedly recovering. But, man, texting and hiking and smoking all at the same time, not bright. And did you see this? Two American Airlines flight attendants got into it on a flight out of Raleigh, North Carolina last Wednesday. And the plane actually turned around and went back. This happened on flight 1214, which was scheduled to land at O'Hare International Airport at 7.08 a.m. before continuing on to Sacramento. Just after takeoff, somebody on the flight crew notified the pilot that these two flight attendants got into an argument. And I guess, I don't know, maybe he got on there and was like, Hey, don't make me turn this plane around, ladies and gentlemen. I will come back there. Don't make me. I will turn this plane around and I will land it. And that's exactly what he did. He turned the damn plane around and uh, and and landed. I, I guess, uh, quote, this is what they said. Our law enforcement team was notified by the tower that the captain had requested law enforcement to meet the aircraft, said Mindy Hamlin, a an ROU spokeswoman. According to the Raleigh News Observer, quote, the aircraft had gotten about 50 miles out of the uh, airport and uh, there was a possible assault on the aircraft. Now, investigators came on. They said that there was no assault. There were no arrests, no charges filed. But, you know, if it had been two individuals, just two passengers that got into it or a passenger and a flight attendant or whatever that got into it on the aircraft, oh, it would have been a federal case. Those people probably would have been locked away forever. God knows we would have never heard from them again. They would have been called terrorists, but no, because it was just two flight attendants getting into it. I'm sure they both still have their jobs too. The airline says that they haven't, at least as of yet, handed down any type of discipline to these two flight attendants. But you know, again, had it been either of us, I would have loved to have been on that flight. Overhear the conversation. I'm sure some of the passengers overheard what happened. And then the announcement from the flight deck. Ladies and gentlemen, from the flight deck, this is your captain speaking. Uh, apparently, we got a couple of bitches that can't keep things in line. Uh, so we're turning this thing around. We'll be heading back to the Raleigh airport. Um, I know this inconveniences you, and we're terribly sorry. But here on American Airlines, uh, we have to show that we're not going to put up with this uh, kind of crap. Uh, they can't work out their differences. And because two flight attendants got into a verbal argument, I'm turning this damn thing around. And uh, thank you for flying American Airlines. Look, I'm sure if it were you or me, we'd be sent off to Getmo right about now. <laughs> we'd be sitting down there, Guantanamo Bay, because we're terrorists, because we dare raised our voice on an aircraft. But flight attendants, you know, it's they have carte blanche to do whatever. Uh, who cares? Uh, all right. Look, I've got to take a break. When we come back, we'll get into more of this stuff. I have more stupid news that I need to get into. We also have, uh, I want to talk about the banks a little bit. Want to get to at least one of these features that I've been advertising on the podcast for a while. Um, look, the internet connection has been stabilized. It's back up. I, I think I mentioned this off the top of the show. The whole show already. We're only uh, two segments in. It's, it's all a blur now. But I did get everything resolved with CenturyLink, 
So everything should be taken care of. I know I said when I got back that I'd be doing these shows more frequently. I I can't necessarily promise every single day, every single weekday, we're going to have a podcast, but we are going to have them more frequently. Um, You know, I will say this, and I just want to mention this before I get to break here. It takes about six or seven hours to produce one of these podcasts. Now you might think, oh my God, you're speaking in hyperbole, but you know, to do the show prep, then to actually record the show, sit here, you know, because these shows are about an hour and a half long is how they've been running. Even though I, I sort of theoretically crafted a 60 minute show, but uh, they've been going at least an hour and a half. Then the post production that I do on the show to make it sound all nice and neat, um, run it through, um, run it through the, uh, the, the saving process and then, you know, getting it uploaded to the side and then doing the write up for the podcast, the whole thing to make it a very presentable program to you, uh, the home listener. That whole process is about a six or seven hour ordeal. So it's like putting in a full day's work to produce one podcast. And I'm listen, I'm not whining about it. I enjoy doing it. It's just that sometimes that it can be a daunting task. And when, when the internet uh, issues were happening, uh, you know, I actually had recorded uh, other podcasts. I actually had recorded other things, but then by the time I was going to upload them, the whole thing was so dated and I was so frustrated that um, there's just there's just stuff sitting over here that um, will, you know, I'll probably just wind up never uploading. Just like um, I found the other day, there is a lost episode of the show. There's a lost podcast that I never uploaded from March of 2011. I never put that up. And maybe I should. Maybe uh, there is a uh, and there's that. And then I discovered a bunch of other podcasts from um, from the end of the live show era that maybe I, I should upload as well. So these are things I want to chew on, and I'm going to think about, and I'm going to eventually get around to. And maybe I'll just eventually start putting up instead of just doing little best of segments that we do from time to time. Maybe I'll just start posting whole episodes from 2009 and before all the way back to the beginning. Although that, that is a process that uh, I know would take probably months and months, maybe even years to get all of those shows up because some of those shows are, are archived away on CD or <laughs> they're on you know digital audio tape somewhere. So I would have to really get into a uh, quite, quite a groove I would actually need to hire people to help with that process, I think, because that would really be um, quite the task. But if it was done well and after it was all said and done, man, can you imagine the site and can you imagine just having all of that stuff available? Um, you'd get to hear the genesis of this show, the um, the evolution. I mean, there are episodes that I think are just lost forever. I don't know. Um, that's entirely possible. Um, there are some that are on hard drives that I, I just can no longer access. So I don't know. We'll, we'd have to see about the viability of all that. But I'd love to do that. And, you know, this whole thing's a work in progress. And, of course, I look for suggestions from you as well. So you can always do that. So send me an email, uh, a message, Twitter, whatever you want to do. Um, and provide your feedback on on this as well. Because... You know, I do this show and I always look for input from you, the listener, because that is very important to me. You know, there's a lot of shows that don't care. They're too busy hawking their merchandise. They're too busy selling their books. They're too busy just living in their ivory tower. Not me. That's not who I am. 
Um, I'm I'm here for you, the people, folks. It's the people's show. <laughs> I don't know. All right. The Zip Code Famous Michael Graff Show will continue. we got more coming up. Stick around. Michael Graff Show. I am so stupid. It's the Zip Code Famous Michael Graff Show. Segment number three. It's the Zip Code Famous Michael Grove Show on a Wednesday, October 3rd, 2012. Mike at KMGX.com is the email address. Groff Show on Google Talk. Michael Groff Show on AOL Instant Messenger. Michael Groff on Twitter. And of course, the one and only MichaelGroff.com for anything else or all things really Michael Groff related. So there you go. I see the banks are at it again. More more fees being tacked on by banks. This comes on the heel of a story I just saw a couple of days ago about how the era of free checking accounts is pretty much over. If you have a free checking account, uh, consider yourself one of the few. A vast majority of Americans now pay to have a checking account. Isn't that sad? I, I, when I saw that story, I couldn't believe it either. I, I was like in in shock. But according to uh, the industry group Bankrate, only thirty nine percent of Americans have a quote free checking account. That means a checking account devoid of a monthly maintenance fee or some type of fee just for having it there in the first place. Now, this same group just three years ago says that seventy six percent of all checking accounts were considered to be free. 
So why all of a sudden has there been this big shift toward monthly maintenance fees? It's because of government regulation, tighter restrictions on banks. So the banking industry, they don't just eat those losses to their revenue. They don't just eat that. They, of course, pass it along to the customer. Once again, showing you why, yes, you do need regulation in the banking industry because if you have no regulation at all or very little, they just run around and hand money out to anybody with a pulse and thus you get the economic crisis of 2008. But if you have too much regulation, what they'll do is they'll just say, hey, listen, we're not just going to eat those costs. We'll pass them along to our customers. They'll stay here because they have to. They really don't have any options. And they'll pay a maintenance fee to keep their money in a checking account. That is the most ridiculous thing I've ever heard. But banks do it all the time. They're charging you money to keep your money in their bank. I mean, you know, it's incredible. And the amount that they charge you, according to bank rate, okay, the average minimum balance, and this is how it works, okay? You have to maintain a certain balance. If you don't have at least a certain balance or higher in your account, let's say $500 or $750, they'll charge you a fee. I remember Bank of America did this to me many years ago. I didn't even notice for a while. They were ch charging me a $7 monthly fee to have a checking account. And when I saw it, I hit the roof. I called up. I just kept busting balls and asking for higher up and higher up into the uh, banking, uh, in, into Bank of America. And that was the end of that, man. That was, uh, the kibosh was put onto that right away. Um, so that was it. I uh, wasn't going to have any of that. But, um, you know, this this just goes on. And this is, uh, let's see. Let me see. The statistics are here. Yeah, the average balance that people have, uh, the average uh, balance that the banks will uh, institute this monthly fee on is $723. So if you don't have at least $723 on average in your account, you will be charged a maintenance fee. The average maintenance fee is $5.23 per month. Now you might say, well, that's not really that much, but do you really want to shell out five bucks or seven bucks or 10 bucks every month just because you don't have enough money in your account. People that work part-time and, and really they, not only do they live paycheck to paycheck, but they live dollar to dollar, penny to penny. Every little tiny bit counts. And five bucks is a big deal to people that have very little income. And these banks, they don't give a crap. They, they say, hey, if you're going to have a checking account with us, you're going to have to pay. The only banks in the world that usually charge to keep your money there are places like Switzerland, where if you're, well, let's say you're somebody like Mitt Romney, for example, and you're storing your money in a Swiss bank account, the reason you do that and the reason that you're willing to pay the Swiss to store your money there is because those accounts offer, well, the benefit of being secret. They're private accounts. Somebody comes along and says, hey, uh, does Mitt Romney have an account here or does so-and-so have an account here? Uh, no, well, we can't tell you. We're not going to tell you. Sorry. That's the added security you get from paying. But, you know, the, the banks here, they just charge you the maintenance fee because, well, the government regulation has stepped in. They've uh, overregulated the banks now. And so the banks just pass that along to you, the consumer. Once again... Government to the rescue. And of course, you're not going to see this issue brought up on these debates. They're not going to talk about something that seems so trivial, but this is part and parcel to the big problem with the banking industry. The fact that the banks are an industry in the first place is, look, um, 
I have no problem with a bank uh, making some money. I have no problem with anybody making money. But nickel and diming customers to death is ridiculous. Now, of course, you have an option. You have alternatives. You can go to a credit union. According to um, this uh, bank rate industry, this bank rate uh, group, they say that the best place to go is a credit union because over 70% of the credit unions have um, free checking accounts. So that is probably the best direction to go. I, it's, it's amazing, though. The banks, everybody is out to nickel and dime you. The airline industry, they're charging you to use the bathroom. They're charging you to use the overhead compartments. They're charging you uh, to, I don't know, for everything. And now the banks, just, just to have an account with them, just to have the privilege of banking with Wells Fargo. The privilege of banking with um, Bank of America, Chase. If you want to bank with Chase, uh, it's a privilege, of course, according to them anyway. You should be honored and you should be so honored that you're going to shell out five or six or seven bucks a month just to have a checking account with us. As I mean, now, of course, if you have a balance over 750 or a thousand bucks, well, you're OK then. You'll, you'll be fine uh, as long as your balance exceeds that. You know, anybody that's a, a high income kind of person, uh, we're not going to charge you a maintenance fee. Shouldn't that be the people that you do charge the maintenance fee to? I, I, I mean, aren't those the people that could actually afford it rather than the person that, you know, shells out a hundred, 200 bucks to open an account with you? Uh, you have a $200 uh, balance with us right now. So we're going to charge you because it's not enough money. It's inconveniencing us to have just a piddly 200 bucks in our account. Well, isn't that what most people have, though? Most people don't have giant balances. You know, my balance in, in, in the bank, I, listen, I, first of all, I don't get charged a, a maintenance fee because I'm, I'm just not going to have it. And if I do, I would take my money out of, the, out of the bank and I would go to a credit union. I would go find a place. I'd put in a friggin' mattress. I don't care. I'm not going to put up with it, but most people will. And you're going to let the banks push you around and that's how it's going to be. But I know for me... Um, I'm not going to tolerate that. That's ridiculous. Uh, you see this in cartoons, especially like the old school cartoons from like the 50s. I can't believe that this actually worked or at least partially worked. But a woman has been arrested for robbing a store by pretending her finger, which was inside her pocket, was a gun. From the Michael Graff Show Stupid News File... Laura L. Pastor admitted to police Tuesday night that she robbed the Dollar General store at 440 Main Street. This was in, um, let's see, this is in Colorado. At about 2 p.m., she walked in there. She made off with $148 in cash and a $4.95 bottle of uh, pain reliever. After putting her finger in her jacket pocket, pointing it at the store cashier, quote, this is a stick up. Give me all the money. Man, right out of the 1950s. She apparently watched an episode of the Flintstones. You got the idea from that, I guess. Quote, give me all the money or someone is going to get hurt. Look, I mean, I don't blame the store owners or whatever. You don't know. But police found the jacket. And that pastor was seen wearing a, uh, the same jacket she was wearing. They saw it on a surveillance video. Uh, they found the jacket in a pile of garbage. 
Um, they went to her home at 210 Lee Avenue. Uh, they arrested her. Obviously, she's being charged. 51 years old, by the way. She's been arraigned on robbery charges. A $25,000 bail was said. She faces quite a lengthy prison sentence, all because she decided she was going to rob a general store, like a, one of these little stores. She got 100 bucks out of the deal and some pain reliever. Um, I have a feeling that pain reliever might come in handy in jail. Pretty sure. Um, I can't believe that. This is a stick up. Nobody move. That actually works. I, <laughs> I can't believe it. That's a master criminal at work right there. All right. Uh, <laughs> I, un, unreal. All right, ladies and gentlemen, it's time for a relatively new feature here on the program. You know it. You love it. Folks, it's the worst song of the week. Yes. Yeah, uh, every, every so often on this program, theoretically every week, we will bring you the worst song of the week. There are so many bad songs that are released all the time. And uh, so something within the last couple of months that's come out, we, we try to highlight it in the worst song of the week. Now, again, there is a pile to choose from. It's very hard to come up with this. The decision, well, any one of these songs that I have sitting in front of me right now could be considered the worst song of the week. But I think this particular artist goes above and beyond the call of duty. Ladies and gentlemen... Nicki Minaj holds this week's worst song of the week. This is called Pound the Alarm. Tell me what you think of this. Is this English? The obligatory same synth kind of background chords that are in every one of these pop songs. Just like the other song, this is giving me a headache. folks uh, i can't take much more of this uh the worst song of the week courtesy of Nicki minaj pound the alarm wow wow 
There are people that are listening to this. There are people that are buying this. There are people that think this is good. I don't know who they are. But they do exist. Allegedly. I can't take it. All right. Uh, yeah, there it is. Uh, the worst song of the week. All right, we're done. Uh, that's it. That's how we close out the show. Just like the last time we did this segment, uh, I, I, I couldn't go on after the worst song of the week. Later this week on the program, we'll, uh, we'll get to more songs that sound just like that. It'll be our pop chart segment. We'll look at the top 10 songs in the world of pop music. And um, you're going to enjoy that. I, I know you will because you are the sadistic bastard that listens to this program. Bastard or bastardette that <laughs> listens to this program. And you just love to torture your own ears. So... You look forward to that. Plus, we have uh, a, a the 20 worst songs of the 90s. There's a list that's out. We'll have those um, later this week also. All right, that's it. I'm done. I'm out of here. Mike at KMGX.com, our email address. Michael Groff Show on AOL Instant Messenger. Groff Show on GTalk. Michael Groff on Twitter. And, of course, if you need any of that contact information or want to listen to other podcasts, comment on this program, interact with other listeners, you know how to do it. You can go to the one, the only michaelgroff.com It's been a great show. Thank you so much for tuning in. I really do appreciate it. I am humbled by your listening to this program. It's the Zip Code Famous Michael Groff Show. Good night, everybody. Everybody.